Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 605. And Happy New Year. Well, what better way to start the new year than to reflect on years past? In this case, many years past. In the Mesozoic era. From 248 million to 65 million years ago. Ah, the sound of dinosaurs. Of course, we don't really know what ancient dinosaurs sounded like. There wasn't a whole lot of recording equipment around back then. But it could be argued that we have all heard the sound of dinosaurs. Like this one. And this one. And this one. The scientific consensus now is that birds are a group of theropod dinosaurs that evolved during that Mesozoic era. We've now seen lots of evidence that some dinosaurs had feathers, but they also had something that our modern dinosaurs that we know as birds don't have, and that would be teeth. Yeah, birds don't have teeth. Ever notice that? Most mammals have teeth, most reptiles have teeth, even fish have teeth, but birds, no teeth. They do, however, have something that mammals, aside from odd creatures like the duck-billed platypus, don't have, something that reptiles don't have, something that fish don't have, that would be beaks. All kinds of beaks. Researchers in China have discovered a species of dinosaur that permanently lost its teeth in adolescence. A study led by a team of researchers from China and here in the U.S., examined the skeletons of 13 Limosaurus inextricabilis in China. So a baby skeleton in the collection had small, sharp teeth, but the adults were all toothless. And these weren't like old fogey dinosaurs. These are just grown-ups. So the finding led the researchers to conclude that a baby Limosaurus would have been a carnivore or maybe an omnivore using its sharp teeth to tear, uh, tear through meat. As they grew older and lost those teeth, they became herbivores with no need for teeth, just like our modern birds. Extra, extra, read all about it. Well, here are some of the stories and videos to which extra, we'll connect you through our Facebook page this week. Just how intelligent are birds? Two new books, including one by recent Talking Birds guest, Jennifer Ackerman, tackle the topic. Hawaii counts. Meet 10 island birds that are now eligible for your life list, and thereby providing just the excuse you needed for taking a trip to America's paradise. And the best wildlife conservation stories of 2016. Yes, there really are some good ones out there. That's some of what we have for you on our Talking Birds Facebook page right now. Meanwhile, there's what some of us would call an unfortunate conservation-related story to report this week. 
While many cities and towns and states and even entire countries are finally coming around to banning those noxious and obnoxious single-use plastic bags, it doesn't look as though Michigan will be doing it anytime soon. Lieutenant Governor Brian Kelly filling in for Governor Rick Snyder, who's taking a break from the onslaught of lawsuits coming his way over the poisoning of the water supply in Flint, Michigan, has signed a law that prohibits Michigan cities and towns from regulating the use, disposition, or sale of, prohibiting or restricting or imposing any fee, charge, or tax on certain containers, including plastic bags, thin, single-use plastic bags, which have a lifespan use of about 12 minutes, we're told. I'm guessing there are a few people in the great state of Michigan who are not happy about this. By the way, can you guess which country was the first in the world to ban single-use plastic bags? It happened way back in 2002. The country, Bangladesh. Well, you don't have to be a Facebooker to read our Talking Birds blog. It's right on our TalkingBirds.com website. And this week it takes us back in part to the subject of bird teeth. How do we know? Because we talked to Debbie Bleacher, our associate producer here at Talking Birds and blog creator. And uh, we're going to talk to her again because she's right here in the studio with us this morning. Happy New Year, Debbie. Happy New Year, Ray. Thanks for being with us and tell us about this blog. Well, researchers from the University of Rochester uh, discovered a dinosaur fossil that looks like it had teeth. Uh, this is in northern Canada. And uh, the question is, what would they have used those teeth for? Hmm. So it seems that this dinosaur would have used them to catch large fish, uh-huh. which would have lived in what would have been a water ocean. And warm water, right? Warm water. And that was in the Arctic. In the Arctic, 90 yeah. 90 million years ago. The theory is that volcanic activity would have heated up the Arctic at the time. A story we think is worth reading. You'll find it in this week's Talking Birds blog, created by our own Debbie Bleacher. You can find it right there on our website, TalkingBirds.com. Thank you, Debbie. You're welcome, Ray. Thank you. Hey, speaking of thank you, we'd like to offer a hearty end-of-year thank you to our latest Talking Birds ambassadors, folks who are spreading the word about our show and about bird conservation and conservation in general. So many thanks to Brian and co-hosts New York, to Michelle in Edgewood, Maryland, our first Maryland ambassador. Tana in Salt Lake City, Utah, our first Utah ambassador. Dawn in Ella J., Georgia, our first Georgia ambassador. Carol in Bridgewater, here in our home state of Massachusetts. And Amber and Dennis in Moreno Valley, Southern California. We'll be sending some little Talking Birds info cards to Brian, Michelle, Tana, Carol, Dawn, Amber, and Dennis, and they'll be handing them out to friends and associates. Meanwhile, we'd like to invite other Talking Birds listeners to join our Ambassadors program. It's easy to do and easy to sign up for. Just visit our website, TalkingBirds.com. Click on the Contact button up at the top and choose the Become an Ambassador option. That's the Become an Ambassador option via the Contact button at TalkingBirds.com. Okay, here comes a a teaser, a preview, if you will, of our mystery bird contest, just to give you a head start for when we conduct the actual contest a little bit later on in the show. Here's the sound of the bird. Actually, it's a lot of sound of a lot of water, and then a little bit of a bird there. There he is. Yeah. 
And here's a clue. The male of our mystery bird species, which dives for food like clams and mussels, is almost entirely black with an inverted comma-shaped white patch around the eyes. That's a preview of our mystery bird in our contest coming along shortly. Also coming along today, we'll catch up with our man Mike O'Connor for today's Let's Ask Mike segment, the subject, New Year's Resolutions, about feeding and watching birds. Also this morning, we'll talk whooping cranes again, this time in an archived chat with Operation Migration's Heather Ray. And up next, a big, tall Texan is today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend. Talking Birds is made possible in part by Celestron, a leading optics company offering binoculars and spotting scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron is dedicated to education and bird conservation and proudly supports many nonprofit organizations that share the same commitment. Celestron says, We care about birds and nature in our backyard, as well as yours. Enhance your view with Celestron. Visit Celestron.com and discover more. When you visit your favorite coffee shop, you can get a cappuccino or a chocolate mocha or a Kahlua latte. But don't try to order a chachalaca, even if you're in South Texas, which is about the only place in the U.S. where you'll find one. And what is a chachalaca? Well, as you may know, it's not a coffee drink. It's this. A long-necked, drab, olive-brown member of the Fasianidae family, whose relatives include the northern bobwhite, the willow ptarmigan, the ruffed grouse, and the wild turkey, among other upland game birds. There are lots of fancy chachalacas in Mexico and Central and South America, including the gray-headed, the chestnut-winged, the rufous-vented, the white-bellied, the spectacled, and the buff-browed. The one in South Texas is the much more modestly named Plain Chachalaca. These birds are usually found in big flocks of up to 15 members. Like some of its relatives, the Chachalaca is a furtive and wary bird, escaping from perceived danger by running on the ground or leaping into the air to escape through the brush. And unlike some of its relatives, the Chachalaca is often seen in trees where it feeds on fruit like figs and palms and seeds, leaves, and flowers. If you'd like to see one, head for Brownsville or Laredo, but don't look for it in a coffee shop, unless it's one with trees in it. The Plain Chachalaca, today's featured feathered friend. Thanks again for being with us on our show, our New Year's show, number 605. Hope you'll visit our website at TalkingBirds.com. Check out our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter at TalkingBirds. Whooping cranes, the tallest birds in North America, as much as five feet tall. A bird species that has been in danger of disappearance for a very long time, but that is continuing to make progress thanks to a number of great organizations and a lot of good people trying to stabilize and increase their populations. One group that has been playing a major role in all of this for a couple of decades now is Operation Migration, best known probably for their having used ultralight aircraft to lead captive-hatched, imprinted whooping cranes on planned migration routes. Tell us about their work and... Give us an idea of the status of this iconic bird is Heather Ray, Director of Development for Operation Migration. Good morning, Heather. 
Good morning, Ray. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Great to have you with us. And Heather, Operation Migration has a pretty amazing history. So a lot of innovation going on there. Ideas like surrogate parents and those ultralight aircraft and radio telemetry, all with the goal of reintroducing endangered whooping cranes into eastern North America. Give us a bit of that history, if you would. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's been going on for almost a couple of decades. Um, Bill Lichman and Joe Duff actually formed the organization back in 1994 um, when they found out that they could imprint and guide Canada geese mm-hmm. on a migration route and have the geese return the following spring. Um, the first couple of times, the geese actually tried to get into the barn where they had the incubators and where they first hatched. Mm-hmm. So um, that definitely proved that it, it could could work. Um, at the time, there was a small documentary, maybe a 20-minute documentary, called Come On Geese, uh, that was um, produced. That was shown at the Oshkosh Air Venture Air Show one year, and it was seen by a, a fellow named Terry Kohler from Wisconsin, who had been making flights up to uh, Alaska to pick up swan eggs for a reintroduction going on here in, in central Wisconsin with trumpeter swans. And he took the film to a fellow named George Archibald at the International Crane Foundation. He's the co-founder of that great organization. And the two of them wondered if it could be used, the technique of the aircraft could be used to perhaps uh, restore population of migratory whooping cranes uh, east of the Mississippi River, specifically Wisconsin, where they had been extirpated from in uh, about the 1870s. So that's how it kind of all started. Um, the geese were sort of a stepping stone, if you will. We then worked with sandhill cranes and trumpeter swans as a precursor to whooping cranes. Uh, as you can well imagine, you can't go to the U.S. government and say, okay, here's the deal. We're going to take these little aircraft and we're going to put on costumes and then we're going to carry puppets and we're going to leave the most endangered bird in North America across the country. They don't really go for it until you prove it. Mm-hmm. So we used uh, sandhill cranes, of course, non-endangered cousins of the whooping cranes to prove that the technique could work and had merit. Uh-huh. And we got their blessing in 2001, and that's when the reintroduction began, was in 2001. Pretty amazing stuff. And back in the 1940s, I think, uh, what, the crane population, whooping crane, down to, what, 15 individuals or something like that? Well, the migratory population was down to 15. Uh-huh. Uh, that's the naturally occurring migratory flock that... Um, summers at Wood Buffalo National Park in Canada, and then winters, of course, on the Gulf Coast of Texas. There was another very small population containing six birds that were non-migratory and that inhabited the uh, coastal marshes of Louisiana. A hurricane wiped those birds out, I believe, in 1944-45. So that, of course, left the only uh, migratory population between Texas and Canada. Wow. So this bird came as close as you can get to you know, going over the brink of extinction as you can possibly get. I guess so. And this is so interesting, too, this evolution of of techniques, uh, Heather. The ultralight method, there was something called direct autumn release method. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now now it's the parent rearing method. Can you kind of trace that little evolution and where we are now with uh, how it's working or what you're doing? Sure. The reintroduction, as I mentioned, began in 2001 by the Whooping Crane Eastern Partnership. And as as you know, we had the reintroduction method with the aircraft, but we can't do it on our own. So we needed partners to do this. So there were nine partners that came together and formed the Whooping Crane Eastern Partnership. Um, We began using the Ultralate 2001 until 2005. And then at that point, the direct autumn release method came on board. That was carried out by the International Crane Foundation based here in Baraboo, Wisconsin. And basically at the 2005 mark, there were enough whooping cranes that were migrating south and then north on their own that we could then take 
birds that were raised by costumes still and puppets and released them with um, known migrators, experienced migrators in the flock in the hopes that they would guide them south and then north again. And that, that did work to some degree. We can carry it on until 2015. There's now 100 birds in the population. So the population has reached a point where there are enough birds that are migrating back and forth now enter the parent-reared method. So these birds are being raised by real whooping cranes from the time they hatch. They don't see costumes. They don't see costume people. They don't see puppets. They see parents. And the hope is that um, when these birds reach breeding age, they're going to be more experienced at um, raising their own chicks because they themselves were raised by wild whooping cranes or mm-hmm. whooping cranes in captivity, but whooping cranes in general. And what, they, what they've noticed over the years is that the bond of parent to chick at a very young age, they have beak-to-beak contact as many as 200 times an hour, which is pretty frequent when you think about that. Mm. It could be offering the chick food. It could be just a nurturing thing. We don't know, but with, when the costumes and puppets raise chicks, we don't have that kind of contact with them. We don't have that innate ability to communicate with a chick as well as a, a parent bird would. Mm-hmm. So we're hoping that once these birds reach breeding age, they'll be better parents than, than the birds that are out there now. We've had some success with breeding, but not as much as we want. So we're hoping to improve the breeding success of the population now. Well, all these challenges for these birds from black flies to other humans, it's tough enough with all the natural challenges, but we mentioned at the beginning of the show about this uh, case where someone is going to be sentenced this fall for shooting uh, a whooping crane and uh, the International Crane Foundation suggesting what the sentence might be as well as other organizations. What's your take on that, Heather? Well, I mean, something needs to be done to curtail these shootings. In our population alone, in the eastern migratory flock, we've we've determined that about 20% of the population has been shot. Um, Whether it's mistaken identity, whether that's just a good excuse when they get in the court system, who knows. But the bottom line is a five-foot-tall, stark white bird. They stick out like a sore thumb on the landscape. Mm -hmm. Just because it's there doesn't mean you have to shoot it. Um, These birds that unfortunately were shot in um, eastern Texas were part of the Louisiana Non-Migratory Project. And they're fairly young birds, of course, as you can imagine, when you're young and a bird you're not of breeding is you don't have a territory to defend, they tend to wander around a little bit. And there were three birds that actually wandered into eastern Texas and were in great habitat. Uh, in this particular case, you're talking of with Mr. Uh, Joseph, or Trey Joseph Frederick, the young man who deliberately shot them and admitted to deliberately shooting them. So we're hoping that there's a stiff um, sentence handed down to him that will set an example for other people with uh, access to rifles. Um, We're not targeting hunters here. Hunters are not responsible for this, Mm -hmm. these crimes. I mean, hunters are, you know, they're responsible. They know how to identify a bird um, and they're ethical and and they have morals and values. This young man just wanted to go out and and shoot whooping cranes. He knew they were, they were. He had bragged to a friend uh, beforehand that he was Mm -hmm. going to do it. so we think it's a horrible and, and something needs to be done to deter other people from going out and doing the same thing. Heather Ray, Director of Development for Operation Migration. Heather, thank you so much. Keep up the good work. Thanks for having me, Ray. I appreciate it. Coming up next here, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute.
Here's an idea for the next time you're shopping for wild bird food. Look for the Audubon Park brand. That's because Audubon Park wild bird seed is the finest kind, with more than a dozen selections to choose from. All of Audubon Park's products meet the highest quality standards in the industry and have earned early compliance with the FDA's Food Safety Modernization Act. And Audubon Park products are easy to find at your supermarket, lawn and garden store, farm and feed market, and online retailers. Visit AudubonPark.com. That's AudubonPark.com. Hi, it's Ray with your invitation to join us in the Galapagos Islands with Sunrise Birding. I'll be your host, joined by expert local guides who'll show us giant Galapagos tortoises and marine iguanas and incredible birds, including Darwin's famous finches. We'll even snorkel with Galapagos penguins. And there are now just two cabins still available. Get all the details right now at sunrisebirding.com. That's sunrisebirding.com. It's our mystery bird contest. Please give us a call and tell us what this bird is or take a guess, no drawing or no uh, correct answer. Our results in a drawing, which results in a winner. 781-837-4900 is the number. That's 781-837-4900. Don't wait. Give us a call and tell us what this bird is, if you can hear this bird in the water. It's a large bird of coastal waters wintering in most North American coastal waters and breeding in North Canada and Alaska. It's related to swans and geese and mergansers and mallards. It dives for food like clams and mussels. The male almost entirely black with an inverted comma-shaped white patch around the eyes. The bill is black at the base, including the hump with reddish sides and an orange tip. The female pretty much a uniform dark brownish. Tell us what it is or take your guess and win this beautiful prize. It's the Droll Yankees Cute, the world's cutest chickadee feeder. Perfect for all small songbirds. Even has a clear adjustable dome to keep the rain out. And it has a lifetime warranty against squirrel damage. That's the beautiful prize. Tell us what that bird is or take your guess. 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, we're going to check in with Mike O'Connor. Let's ask Mike live in just one minute. The Amazon's rainforest is being cut down so fast that by 2030, 55% of it could be completely wiped out. The Earth's forest can't speak up when they need help, but we can. Be the voice for those who have no voice. Visit worldwildlife.org. If we continue to consume our natural resources at the rate we do now, by 2050, it could take three Earths to meet our needs. The Earth can't speak up when it needs help, but we can. Be the voice for those who have no voice. Visit worldwildlife.org. I don't recycle. I mean, we can just find another planet for your kids to live on, you know? Noted non-recycler Tommy Crenshaw talks about the future. Oh, I can totally see finding another planet that can support life when ours fills up with trash. Log on to yougottobekidding.org and learn about all the ways you can recycle. Unless you're into lame excuses like Tommy's. Hey, recycling's just not my thing. Starting over on a new planet? Now that's exciting. Don't be that guy. Unless you want people looking at you funny. Log on to yougottobekidding.org. Well, as you know, if you're listening to our show live, it's New Year's Day. Happy New Year to Mike O'Connor down there at the Birdwatcher's General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod, and good morning, Mike. I, I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to be quiet, Rick, because anybody's got like a big head this morning. <laughs> oh, you're right. We should have been whispering during yeah, the entire <laughs> program here. Sorry about <laughs> right. that. Everybody's like all okay. saved and yeah. drinking that shade, grown coffee, trying to get that seat back <laughs> underneath them. Lots of it. Let's see, your, your New Year's resolutions here for birders, Mike. I understand yours is you'll be lowering prices on all of your products. No, that was last year. We're oh, going back w- up again this year. Oh, okay. You missed it. <laughs> <laughs> that was that last year. Okay, what are some <laughs> suggestions you have here? 
<laughs> well, yeah, you know, here's what I, I think. I think it would be kind of fun. I mean, everybody keeps, some people keep a list, a, a yard list, which is a good thing. And it's a, it, you flip the calendar, so it's time to do a new yard list to see what kind of birds come to their feet and keep track of the dates when the Orioles return, et cetera. And that's good. But I, th- I think we've got to get out of our backyard once in a while. And I, I would suggest, and I do this for myself, is pick a new bird. Pick a bird you haven't seen before in your entire life. And, and, and try to find it in the course of the year. So you've got a, a whole year to find it. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a crazy rare bird. It could mm-hmm. be maybe you go to the beach and look for a snow bunting or maybe a snowy owl. Um, or maybe you just go to a uh, ride in the country. Maybe you look for a, a, a barn swallow if you happen to live in a more urban area and you don't get to see these birds. Just go through your field guide and say, that would be a cool bird. Yeah. And then kind of research a little bit and find out the habitat in it. In fact, if they're in your area, and kind of, kind of make that your goal that year. Um, I'm go- I, I want to see here on the Cape. We get Lapland longsperns. I've never seen one here on the Cape, so I'm going to go to the beaches, um, you know, as often as I can and try to get one this year. I'm also going to take some, some trips. So I'm going to Florida, so I want to see a Florida scrub jay. I've been there a few yeah. times. I've never seen it. And then I'm going to the West Coast, and I want to see a lazuli bunting. Never seen one of those. So those are on my list. They don't have to be as crazy as that, but just some bird that you've always, maybe a puffin, maybe a loon mm-hmm. that you, you're not familiar with. Be a good idea to, to get out. Yeah, get out there. And, get and, out there, and man, any, do it you know, quietly. Here. Any bird that you haven't seen before is exciting to see. It doesn't even matter what it is. Exactly. Thank you, Mike, and Happy New Year. Thanks, Ray. We'll talk Drink, to you next drink week. some more coffee. You'll feel okay later. <laughs> okay. Back to our mystery bird contest here. Here's the sound of our mystery bird. Kind of hard to hear this one. That's the adult male. Makes a little bit of sound there, but not so you'd notice all that much. 781-837-4900 is the number. What do you think it is? The beautiful Droll Yankees, cute, world's cutest chickadee feeder uh, is our prize. Joe is in Braintree, Massachusetts. Uh, oh, Joe has... Uh, are you there, Joe? Somebody's, hey, Ray, how are you? Some guy talking on the radio there. Good. How are you doing, Joe? Happy New Year. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, what do you think, Joe? Mystery bird? Yeah, I, I just thought I'd uh, take a guess on the cormorant. Yeah. It seems like kind of too obvious to be right, but I'm not sure. A cormorant? No, it's not. We had a cormorant, I think, as a mystery bird just a while ago, but um, not uh, not a cormorant, although uh, I can see where you were going with that. Yeah, the description kind of fits it, yeah. but uh, I, I wasn't sure. Yeah, we, right. try to, we try to trick you as much as we can here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Thank you, Joe. So All right, so our mystery cool. bird contest, 781-837-4900. Not a cormorant. I think a great cormorant was our mystery bird just uh, a few weeks ago. Um, our mystery bird, large bird of coastal waters. Probably the big clue, too, I think, is the male is entirely black with an inverted comma-shaped white patch around the eyes. What is it? 781-837-4900 is the number to call. And we have Margaret in Brookline, Massachusetts, where they recently passed uh, a ban on single-use plastic bags, I believe. But that's another topic. Good morning, Margaret. Good morning. Good morning. Don't you sound great? You're starting the new year off in a very, uh, what should we say, a very chipper manner. Absolutely. All right. I like it. Margaret, you heard the uh, clues on our mystery bird uh, contest here. What do you what do you say it is? I say it's a white-winged scoter. You say it, and you say it with conviction. Absolutely right. I say it is a white-winged scoter. It's a proclamation from Margaret in Brookline. Nice job, Margaret. 
Thank you. Are you doing, uh, I don't know if you heard Mike talking about the New Year's resolutions uh, regarding bird watching. Uh, have you uh, made any in that direction? I watch birds every day. <laughs> I just do. All right. <laughs> it's my favorite thing. All right. It's a beautiful thing, too. Have you seen any white-winged scoters this uh, winter yet? No. <laughs> when I lived in California, I was very familiar with mm. them along mm -hmm. the coast. Indeed. All right. Margaret, thank you so much. Happy New Year, and stay on the line, and we'll arrange to send you that uh, Droll Yankees feeder. Thank you very much. All right. Margaret in uh, Brookline identifying the white-winged scoter. Um, still lots of them around on the East Coast, especially Great Lakes. Populations on the Great Lakes deteriorating, apparently because of the invasion of the zebra mussel. You may have heard about that, but that's a little bit about the white-winged scoter. Go and find them at a beach near you. We are out of time for our show this morning. Executive producer of Talking Birds, Mark Duffield, our associate producer and guest on the show today, and blogger, Debbie Bleacher. Our engineer, Tim McKenney. Next week, we un unveil the 2017 Talking Birds photo contest. Don't miss it. That's on our show, uh, aired live on, uh, that would be January 8th. Yeah. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod, birdwatchersgeneralstore.com, by L.L. Bean, inspiring you to get outdoors, llbean.com, by Celestron, offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels, celestron.com, by Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee, birdsandbeans.com, and by Chimani, visiting a national park, let Chimani guide you, chimani.com.